speaking of things that will be over, we're going to be wrapping up our series on the Song of Solomon this morning. Tear, right? Single tear. Uh, it has been a really fun ride these last two months. We kicked this off back in September. And so as we wrap it up this morning, we actually have an incredible privilege this morning. We're going to have a guest speaker popping in. Mike Nugent is going to be speaking for us. And I'll tell you guys, when I was in college, uh, the guy that I heard walk through Song of Solomon that totally wrecked me and gave me a sense of what dating and marriage was supposed to be, look like was Tommy Nelson. Uh, and uh, Mike had the awesome opportunity to get to travel with Tommy uh, during those years. And so uh, he has taught Song of Solomon before, and you guys are going to be incredibly blessed as Mike pops up here and speaks for us. So why don't you guys give Mike a hand and welcome him up here. Well, good morning. Well, I am, I am so thrilled to be here uh, to help you all uh, wrap this up. I tell you, Trey mentioned uh, hearing Tommy Nelson teach this when he was in college and it wrecked him. Uh, I had the same experience, except I was older, I was out of college, and uh, I heard Tommy teach the Song of Solomon in 1992, and I had never studied uh, this book, and, and I, I think you probably know why I didn't, I, hadn't, I didn't study it then, because it's really not taught that often, or at least 20 years ago it wasn't. People were scared to teach this in church, because it deals with stuff that we don't talk about in church very much, Right? And as we were traveling around, taking this word, really God's word for, uh, for romance and relationships to, to different churches, I would get, you know, staffs and, and parents and, and, and deacons would look at us like we were crazy. Like, you can't teach this in church. And we're like, it's right in, the, I mean, it's in the middle of the Bible. I've been in conferences, by the way, where you're teaching it and guys are like on the first row, literally going, you know, making sure it's the Bible they're reading. But, uh, I mean, our take on it is, wouldn't you rather hear about this from God? Or I'd rather my kids hear about this from God and in church than in the locker room, because they're going to hear it somewhere. And uh, I know as y'all have walked through this, you've seen these snapshots of, of, of what God's design, again, for romance is. And you, you've gone through attraction and, and dating, marriage, sex. And, and conflict. Now, anybody else find it interesting? There's twice as many chapters on conflict as sex and marriage. It means nothing, I promise. <laughs> no, don't, don't, please don't leave thinking you're going to have twice as much conflict as sex, okay? Please don't. Uh, and you won't. But uh, today we're going to wrap it up with commitment. Commitment, because uh, commitment's kind of a punchline today, is it not? Uh, people don't like to be committed. I mean, I get hacked off thinking about my commitment to my phone service, right? Or my, my satellite service. And you can just look at relationships and they're, they're pretty disposable. Uh, and I, I come from a broken home. My parents divorced when I was four years old. It, it, and, and unfortunately, I'm not very rare. It was very common. Uh, it didn't used to be. But, we, but there's, this level of commitment's kind of missing. Not kind of, it's missing. And uh, this book is going to end as you would expect. As God is going to show us, uh, again, he's going to let us kind of creep on this couple as they get older. And they are committed to one another to the grave. And we can go by HEB later today and look at you know, all these magazines and there's going to be starlets on there. We, we can, I'm sure we could find what Kim Kardashian's relationship advice is. And that's going to sell a lot of magazines. It's probably not going to do a lot of good, unless maybe you do the opposite of what's, what's said. But it, it's relationships and commitments just turned into a punchline. And I really don't care 
what the magazines tell me to do. But I, I tell you, as a, I was a pastor for, for many years and going to a funeral of someone who uh, had just lost, you know, someone who was married for 60 years. Think of my grandfather. I did his funeral a couple years ago. And to look at my grandmother and know that I had the privilege for 45 years of watching them love one another and serve one another and never, I didn't one time raise their voice to one another. That guy, he could have talked to me about relationships all he wanted. I'm going to listen because that guy did it right. He did it right. Now, his kids may have really screwed up badly, but my granddad did it right. And I will listen to what, what he has to say. And it says up here, uh, chapter 1 through 14, in, 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 uh, verse 1 through 14, chapter 8, I'm going to back up just a little bit, just a little bit, and we're going to sprint through chapter 7. It, it, it's basically a retelling of a few chapters before, but it's a, it's, it shows how their, their relationship is deepening. They've had conflict. They've resolved it. But they don't rest there. They keep, to, uh, they keep deepening their relationship. You know, and let's be honest. You go out to dinner. You see this couple. They're, they're, they're walking up to the table. The guy moves around the table. He pulls out the chair. She sits down. He helps her in. He goes, sits down, and he just sits there, and he listens to her throughout dinner. What's your first thought? Okay, they're not married. Right? They're not married. Too many times, it's just assumed, oh, it's going to get dull. It's going to get rote. It's just the same old, same old. Every day, every week, every year, you're going to do the same old thing. Does it have to be like that? Okay, thank I was just looking for something, something. Okay. No! No! In fact, to quote the great philosopher and theologian Johnny Cash, no, you know, this song he sang with his wife, June, uh, called Jackson. Jackson says, uh, and the, the story is, there, you know, they, they went on their honeymoon to Jackson, Mississippi. It is a huge honeymoon spot, by the way. But he said, we've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. Ever since the fire went out in our relationship, we've been talking about that. And the idea is, of course, the fire is gone. And the relationship is done. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. And in chapter 7, they, they have gone off on a little retreat. And we're going to see if things are business as usual in Solomon's household. And I'm, again, I'm just going to read through this fairly quickly. It says, how beautiful are your... Sa-? Now, on their honeymoon, he went uh, from head to toe. Remember, as he was, he was talking to her about her beauty... Uh, now he's starting with the feet. Now that right there, starting, I mean, to start with someone's feet, he's, he's fairly familiar with this woman by this time. Fair enough? And he says, how beautiful your sandaled feet. I will confess, I don't know if I've ever told my wife, her feet are beautiful. But every square inch of her, he appreciates. He admires. He desires. He says, how beautiful your sandal feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks a blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Guys, don't ever use that line, okay? (laughs) 
it won't work for you. Use something similar. Uh, no, but the, 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 the abdomen, the stomach was the, the seat of emotion. Consider the seat of emotion. And he says, your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine, the greatest blessing. Because wine meant that God had given rains, the crops had come, and now there is wine. God has blessed them. In your waist, uh, your stomach is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. He says, you are the greatest blessing of God. That's how he views his wife. He's not tired of her. And the truth is, a lot of times, that's natural when you meet. I can tell you the first time I held my wife's hand. I remember it like it was yesterday. I can tell you so many things from, you know, a lot of first. And things just come so natural. And the truth is, life can get hard. You can go through dark, difficult times, tough seasons. And it's not always natural for me to love my wife like she deserves. It's not. It's difficult. But that's no excuse not to do it. Things that I did naturally 20 years ago, I need to do now as a discipline. And and I'm not saying it's it's not natural ever. But I can come home after being at work for 12 hours and I'm tired. I'm tired. And you know what I want to do? I want to sit down and I want to watch TV or I want to go for a run. That's not what my family always needs. If they need me, I need to be there. Right? And I need to be disciplined to serve and to treat them, treat my wife, to treat my kids as God intends them to be treated, but it needs to be a discipline. I talk to a buddy of mine from high school all the time, and we talk about how we need to intentionally love our wives. Top priority. Top priority, we need to intentionally do it. And he's doing that here. This is not the same old, same old. He's treating her like the prince's daughter that she is. And now, oh, here he goes again. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. (laughs) Same thing he said on their honeymoon. Some things never change. He still views her like that. Uh, He still respects her. Your neck is like an ivory tower. She's regal. Your eyes are pools of Heshbon by the gates of Bathrabim, deepest of blues. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. I've not used that one either. Looking towards Damascus. She's protective of her husband, of their relationship. Damascus, that tower faced north, and if anyone was coming after Israel, that was their, that was their defense system. And, they, and they've got that set up too, with the little foxes I know y'all talked about in the conflict. It says, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. You're beautiful. Your hair is like a royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. She, he is still intoxicated with her. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, O love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. And I said, I will climb the palm tree and will take hold of it. Hello. Uh, May your breast be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. He's not just talking to her. He is showing her and telling her how much she's appreciated, how much she is loved, how he esteems her. And maybe most importantly, how after all this time, he desires her. He desires her. 
Because you ladies are good at looking in the mirrors and finding every potential fault. And they're not there. We don't see them. He doesn't see them. Do you think she sees herself like he does? Probably not. Probably not. But he's building up her self-confidence, her self-esteem. This is who you are in my eyes and you are perfect. Ladies, could y'all love someone like that? Well, she does. And here she speaks. May the wine go down straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. She says, all right, all right. I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. Back in the beginning of the book, she talked about how she was ugly, how she was swarthy. No one could love her. She says, this guy loves me. He desires me. Come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Go off on a little weekend getaway. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early in the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the palm granites are in bloom, and I will give you my love. The mandrakes sent out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both old and new. She is saying, I mean, she is, she is receiving his words. I will tell you what, I can say this because my wife's not here. I'd say it if she was, but I'd be in trouble after my biggest pet peeve with my wife is I can, it's not that huge, really. She has no issues at all. This is taped, right? Okay. No. But I, I'll just look at her. I say, and it's a little creepy. I, I understand that. I say, you are so beautiful. And you know what she does? Oh, she just received it. She goes, oh, thank you so much, sweet prince. Oh, wait, no, no. She's like, I'm glad you think so. Do you see this? <laughs> it kind of kills the mood. I want to affirm her. I want her to know. I mean, and you know what the truth is? I don't see whatever that is. I don't. She doesn't do that. She doesn't treat Solomon like my wife treats me. <laughs> no. She receives his affirmation. She receives it. And she says... We're, we're going to go out and there's some old, comfortable things that we like to do. We like to go eat at Chewy's or, or whatever. But we're going to spice things up too. There's new things that we're going to try. Who, who knows? We're just going to go, you know, hey, let's go try this. Let's go try this. They don't get stuck in a rut. Oh, you know what? We, we normally go to, to, to Bastrop. Hey, let's go to, all the way to Austin or something. You know, let's, let, we're going to mix it up a little bit. It's not going to get old. It's not going to get stale. New ways to express their love to one another. And if only, this is a little weird, if only you were to be to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breast, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. PDA was frowned upon, all right? And she said I, she could kiss her brother in public in Israel but no one else. She's, I, I desire you so much. I wish you were my brother so I could kiss you out in public and show everyone. And she said, I would take you to my mother's house, she who has taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. His left arm is under my head and the right arm embrace me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love till it pleases. And there, they are still intimate, deeply intimate deep into their relationship. How do they do it? So much of what I believe chapter 18 is, is perspective. 
What is your perspective of relationships? And I want to, let's, let's run through this. Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover? They're coming back from this weekend and she is transformed. She's different because they've been together. Under the apple tree, I, I roused you. There your mother conceived you. This is Solomon talking. There she who was in labor gave you birth. The apple tree in Israel was a place of love. Okay? The fig tree was a place of meditation. The olive tree was a symbol of Israel. Apple tree, symbol of love. And he said, there I aroused you. I, I, I awakened you. I awakened you. And it's a kind of a cryptic verse. But I believe Solomon is saying, I was born to love you. You were born for me, literally. You were born for me. Do y'all believe that? I tell you, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but, but I do. I am convinced my wife was born for me. I am convinced. In fact, in Genesis, Abraham needed, needed a wife for Isaac. And he sent his servant ahead to, to help find one. Remember what he said? He said, the quality most of you guys are looking for in a wife, go find a camel waterer. Right? Someone who's got a great heart. And he sends him ahead. He says, you know, they're living in this pagan area. And he says, you go back home. You find someone who believes what we believe. You go back to church. And you find someone. And this is necessary to keep his line going. If God's really going to bless his family... Isaac needs a wife, right? So Abraham sends uh, his servant, and his servant said, well, what, what if I don't find someone who believes what we believe? He said, then you come back. However, you will, because I believe the angel of the Lord has prepared a wife for Isaac. He said, it's providential. And I believe Solomon is saying, it was providential that we found one another. God was all over it. His fingerprints are all over this. And it says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Our love is possessive. It is possessive. And you may have, uh, is, any of y'all have a translation with jealous or jealousy? Yes, okay. Wait, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't 1 Corinthians tell us that love is not jealous? All right, here's the deal. Well, first of all, different words, <laughs> in different Hebrew and Greek words. Their love is jealous. God is a jealous God. First Corinthians is basically telling me, I'm not going to be jealous of my wife. If she has something good happen to her at work or something really great happens, I'm not going to be jealous of that. It's not, a, it's not a competition, right? But if she were here... And at the end of our time, she and Trey walked out hand in hand. Is it okay for me to be jealous? Yes. In fact, I would have to kill him. <laughs> it's code of the hills, all right? <laughs> they say, Place, I am possessive of you, of your heart. No one else can have you. Your love, your heart is mine. Just as God is jealous and possessive of us, we are to be jealous and possessive. And it's not some creepy, overbearing possessive. Understand? I mean, there's still life to be lived, but their heart, that rom romance, that love, that delight, we share that with no one else. That is between you. 
And you've got to have that perspective. Have a possessive, or the idea that it's possessive. Uh, And I love this. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It's like death. Our love is permanent. Oh, we had a bad night. We had a we had a fight that night. You came banging on the door, and I, I you know I told you I had a headache, you know, and we got in a big fight about it. No, that's no reason to split up because our love is permanent, just like death. Death doesn't give up its own. Our love doesn't give up, and too many people don't have that perspective. You hit a bump in the road, and you hit the eject button, and you're done. Instead of fighting through it, not fighting through it. But sometimes you do. Sometimes you have to, but you persevere. In fact, that's where he goes next. Or it well, says it's, it's like it burns, their love burns like a blazing fire, like the mighty flame of the Lord. Our love is divine. It was providential, but it is holy. It is holy. Um, it's the only time the covenant name Jehovah is used, and it's used right here in describing the foundation of their love. It says, we don't give up because many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. Our love is persevering. We will get through anything. One of my best friends years ago, uh, he was a worship pastor at a church and he was leaving home right after lunch on Sunday to go get the tape from the service, wanted to listen to it. And as he was backing out, his two-year-old son, Jake, ran behind the truck and he ran over his son and killed him. And when I got the call about an hour later, I remember being heartbroken. And on the flight to Albuquerque, I was, one of the things we talked about was our concern for he and his wife. How do you get through that? How do you do it? And we started reading and, and looking at the statistics and people don't stay married after they lose an infant child. They just don't. Their ministry now is ministering to people who have lost all kinds of hope. This was 16 years ago, stronger than ever because their love is divine. And they have persevered through the hardest thing I could ever imagine. Not that it was his fault, but you could see her blaming her, right? Late at night when our mind starts getting weird. Well, it was your fault. There was never any blame. They kept God and his holiness in the middle of it and they were able to persevere because they were committed to one another. And, and their ministry now is, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And they have ministered to thousands upon thousands of people and God has taken that heartbreak and he's used it because they persevered and they got through it. If one were to give all their wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Said love is precious. You cannot buy it. It's, it, it's, it's, it is too precious for that. And so now we've got this weird break. We have four minutes, right, Trey? Give me six. Or seven. No. There's this interesting break. It's a, it's a flashback here chronologically, this is going to be the first verse of the book, okay? So it's kind of like a Quentin Tarantino movie. We don't know what, what's going on. This is her older brother's talking when she was younger. It says, we have a, sis, a young sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. She's a young girl. 
What shall we do for our sister for the day when she is spoken for, when someone wants to marry her? You know, dad's not around here. We've seen her mom. His dad, dad's probably passed away or gone. They're raising their, da- their sister. What happens when the guy comes and wants to give her a ring? How do we know it's time? And it says, if she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. We will give her a blessing. If she was a wall, if she was moral, if she showed to us that she was mature and that she could handle it and that she was pure, we will bless this. If you show us you're, you're mature enough to, to be a wall, you're mature enough to be married and we will bless it. Um, because, you know, marriage is just a, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's conditional on God. And if you're moral, you know, if God's not in it, it's just a sociological experiment. It's just cohabitation. And they said, if she is a door just swinging wide open for anyone, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. We're going to lock her in her room. And as speaking as a dad, you know, we want to protect and provide for our kids. I, 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 am, I have a, a freshman in high school, a daughter who's a freshman, a son who's a senior. I'm right in the middle of this. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, speaking as a dad, your parents know what they're talking about. No. Yours probably do. But have you, were you ever frustrated with your parents? Rules, curfews, things like that? Was she fr- frustrated with it? What did she say about her brothers in chapter one? They hate me. They won't let me have any fun. And now we see why they wouldn't let her have any fun. She thought they were being mean. They were trying to protect her and to provide a a wonderful future for her. And look at this. She says, I am a wall. And my breasts were like towers. Anyone came near? Uh Uh-uh. Stop. She played defense. Says, thus I became in his eyes like one bringing contentment. In whose eyes? Solomon. Because of her character and who she was, who did she draw the attention of? Solomon. He fell in love with her because of who she was in her character that had been developed. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. He let out his vineyards to tents. Where did she work in chapter one? It's not the library. Come on. Where'd she work? At a vineyard. Her brothers, remember, made her work at this vineyard. Whose vineyard was it? Solomon's. Her mean brothers put her in the position to meet her husband when he saw her dedication and her faithfulness and her work ethic and her character. He fell in love with her. And she all along was in the will of God because she was moral. She was following after him. And the safest place to be, although it doesn't always feel that way, is where? In the will of God. And now looking back on it, she's like, oh my gosh. My idiot brothers really did know what they were doing. They really did care about me. They really did love me. And she finishes with this. Uh, My own vineyard, meaning her body, is mine to give. And she's going to give her body to Solomon. And she said, the thousand shekels are for you, O Solomon, and 200 are for those who tend its fruit. Who's that? Her brothers. She's tipping her brothers. Thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to guide me. And then 
Solomon says, you who dwell in the gardens with friends and attendants, let me hear your voice. As a husband, the number one thing my wife wants to hear, any wife I've ever met, is to be listened to. And the last thing Solomon says was, is what? Let me hear your voice. Let's go to salt grass. Sit down across from me. And I'm going to sit in a place where I'm not even looking at the, the game up behind you. I want to listen to you. And her heart melts. Because he continues to serve her. Because that's the key. That's the essence of relationships is service. Considering the need of the other more important than your own. And the last verse, she says, she hears this and she's like, okay, come away, my lover, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. And I can promise you, if I get in a car and there's a message from my wife that is anywhere close to that, I will pass out. (laughs) And I will need a ride home. But make it quick, all right? No, because when we serve one another, when you are served, you want to, it's just reciprocal. He's listening to her and she's like, this is turning me on. I get to talk. And you you actually care. And again, this is the essence of relationships. It's the essence of marriage, of commitment, serving one another considering their need more important than your own, just as Christ Jesus did, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard (laughs) equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself so he could have a relationship with us. And to make any relationship work, but especially in the male-female dynamic in marriage, you empty yourself. You bring that to the table and you trust God You follow him every day. And that is a recipe for a relationship that will stand the test of time. And will be, I mean, it will be a commitment that others will look at on with awe and wonder. And they will desire that. They will desire that. I just look at relationship and one one final thought. The only way, when you look at the divinity, the holiness of it, I remember seeing my wife, meeting her, getting to know her, Park City's Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas. And was amazed at her character, at her talent, at her beauty. But you know what? There are a lot of talented, high character, beautiful people. There are a lot of them. But as I was on my journey with God, and you just kind of look over, and you, you, you see people doing the same thing, she was always there. And at, 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 I reached a point where I was like, you know what? We're going to the same place. Let's just do this together. And you can look at, look at it as, a relation, as, as your relationship as a triangle where you're kind of at the bottom and God's at the top. And it's just a journey up that triangle to God. And the closer you get to him, the closer you get to one another. And that's just truth. That's truth. Again, without God, marriage really, it, it really is just, it's cohabitation. But with God, it is life. And not just like, it's delight. Let's pray together. Father, I, I, I thank you so much for life and how you enrich it through relationships. 
that you are a God who created us. You, you, you know our desires because you put them there. And Father, I, I thank you that you, you love us enough to not just create us with desires to love and to be loved and just say, go figure it out by yourself. Thank you for giving us a guide. Father, I, I, just, I, I pray for these young people, for these young men, young women, navigating the landmines that can be these years. And I just pray that they will cling desperately to you, to your word. Father, may this be a generation that takes the divine institution of marriage back. Father, we're thankful for this holiday season. We're just grateful for how you bless us, how you've intersected our lives, and you continue to guide us and lead us. And I just pray for our discussion right now, for openness, for honesty. And uh, I just pray that, you know, we would leave here changed because we have come face to face with Jesus. Uh, the risen Christ, the one who lives. In his name we pray, amen.